Hey everyone, I'm Andrew, and you're listening to Small Efforts, a collaboration between Crit and Miss Grants. And hi, I'm Sean. Small Efforts is a show where we talk about cybersecurity, design, and the continuous small efforts it takes to build a business. Hello, hello, hello. Yo, 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 yo. How's it going? So we did not get hacked, but we sort of got hacked this week. <laughs> so we, we ourselves did not get hacked, but a tool that we use did. The actual hack, by the time this came out, will have happened like a month or month or two ago. But so a tool that we use called Home Run, it's an applicant tracking system, a third party SaaS app. They got compromised. Uh, there was an Apache vulnerability. Sounds like it was kind of just like someone scanning for you know a known CVE got in, and then they were able to export all of the like candidate data for all of their users. So they didn't get any payments data. They didn't get any like passwords or anything like that. But they got all of the candidate data. Most of that data is like largely public. So I think for most candidates, it's not a huge concern. Names, emails, countries application answers, resumes, things like that, like stuff that's like kind of quasi public, but still, you know, things that you don't really want in the hands of a group of malicious hackers, potentially. So Home Run let us know. And one thing that I thought was kind of interesting is they put the onus on all of their users to decide whether or not to contact the candidates. So they let all of their users know, hey, this is what happened. They quickly hired a group called Northwave out of Europe to come in and do remediation, found the vulnerability, patched it. And then interestingly, they also said that they negotiated with the attackers to try to make sure the data was not released. So it wasn't a ransomware attack. They didn't encrypt anything and they weren't able to delete anything, but they still had a copy of the data. And so Sounds like Home Run probably paid some sort of ransom to keep them from, I don't know the full details, but it sounds like that's what happened to keep them from releasing the the information. So they tell us all of this and then they say, hey, if you're in the EU, you need to reach out to your data protection authority. And if you were, and then it's up to you to decide how and when to inform candidates. They did give us a handy tool for like exporting contact information for our candidates who were affected. So that was nice. But I was also a little fed up because I was like, so wait, you're telling me I now have to spend an entire day of my life telling candidates that you guys messed up and then responding to all of their emails and like, and I get it. Like they can't really reach out to candidates on behalf of companies because, you know, most companies are going to want to control how that message is presented and there might be candidates who are actively job seeking who are affected and it could just be a mess if they did the outreach but it still felt kind of shitty that they were just like here you go your problem now yeah that's that's hard i wonder whose idea it was you know there's like when companies get breached they grab a breach coach but i think the breach coach is actually tends to be actually like a lawyer who tells you like what to do and, and all the things you need to like you know what you need to report and whatnot so i wonder who's you know i wonder whose idea it is and i wonder if that's like standard practice versus you know because like is it standard practice well so i think there's probably this interesting problem of like when is it your users that are affected and when is it your users 
users. You know, like there's so many B2B tools now where your customers are then using your tool with their customers or their, in this case, candidates, their users, their community, whatever. And so I wonder how many, like a lot of the big name attacks that we think of are like Target getting all of their customers' data stolen. But like LinkedIn, you know, it's a direct user. I can't think of a big name attack that I have read about recently that was kind of in this vein of a software company that had users, but their users also had users. You know what I mean? Yes, but then I think like, you know, what happens if Shopify gets breached? You know, it's not like I have to go notify my customers that their info is locked. I do see like, I don't know. It's weird, right? Like I, I kind of feel like, I feel like what they did wasn't wrong, but there was like a better way to do it. You know, how would you have wanted them to handle it? I mean, I, th- I think giving you the option of like, you know, here, like giving you three things, right? One is, hey, do you want us to reach out for you and, and notify Two, do you want to notify? And here's a template of how we're doing it. So you don't have to, you know, write something from scratch. And I will say in their defense, they did create a page like on their website, a public page that explained everything that we could link to. But it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't like a pre-written email. You know, I honestly like I don't know how to if I have users, I don't know how to tell them that they got breached. Like what if what if you have a user that misinterprets, you know, what if you have an applicant that misinterprets your email? It's like, oh shit, you leaked my data and comes after you. And like now it's a whole problem. Yeah, I thought about that. And yeah, I definitely was kind of annoyed with them. And I was like, shouldn't this be your responsibility? And and it it's almost like saying, oh, those aren't our users. But I'm like, anyone who interacts with your software and puts their data into your software, I kind of think is one of your users, whether they're one of your customers or not, they're still your users. But I'm sure, you know, at the same time, I'm sure them just blanketly reaching out to everybody who has ever applied for a job through Home Run, probably not a great solution either. But yeah, it, it definitely left us in a weird spot. So we were like, feels like the right thing to do is to reach out, like to be transparent, to tell everybody what's happening. So we opted to be transparent and I didn't really bother running it through a lawyer. I probably should have, but I just, you know, tried to say, hey, here's what's happened. Here's what we know. Here's what we have heard from Home Run and links to find out more and just reply to this email if you want me to delete your data from Home Run and I'll delete you from Home Run. And so I've spent the last couple of days, everyone who replies manually deleting them from Home Run and then just replying and letting them know that that I've removed their information. But yeah, it's a weird thing. Like, I guess one of the equivalents that I was thinking of would be if Shopify is a good one or if an email provider, like if MailChimp or somebody got hacked, who notifies who? It's a complicated issue. You know, okay, now that I think about it, that's weird. I don't think you should be the one. Okay, so so there's a lot of like, like I don't think that you have enough like bad, like bad actor employees for it to matter, but... It makes me think, what if you have an employee you fired, but they applied through home run? Like not not just an employee you fired, but like like a, you know, like a vengeful, like angry, really bad terms type of thing. Right. Like like this just sort of opens us up to liability or something. Yeah. Or or just like 
it's kind of awkward, you know, like, <laughs> like you having to email them and them going like, uh, what the hell? Like the mindset isn't great there, you know? I mean, everyone on our current team was in this, this email list, all of our past employees, we do have past employees, all of them are on this email list. So I, I was actually having a Slack conversation with a past employee who's going to do some freelance work for us. And I was saying, hey, by the way, you're going to get an email from me. <laughs> um, yeah, here's why. <laughs> also kind of interesting, only 10% of the 2000 have opened the email and read it. So that's kind of interesting, too. Do I have an obligation to like follow up with people and try to make sure that they've seen this? I don't know. I don't think so. But still, like it would have been nice. You know, if you are going to email, it would have been nice for Home Run to give you like, you know, a template more than just like first base. Yeah. Nice. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. 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 <laughs> but yeah, it was really interesting just to be on this side of things, to be you know, and I was thankful that it wasn't something that we had built and we had were actively maintaining infrastructure that we were responsible for. But it, it was interesting to still experience, you know, having our data compromised and, and being a part of a breach and seeing, watching how someone responds to that now that we are in this industry and thinking about, okay, how do we message this to people and how do we explain? I tried to say too, like, I tried to be clear with all of the candidates, hey, we take cybersecurity seriously we have to we're a product design firm that specializes in cybersecurity products but at the same time we also believe in second chances and know that this can happen to anybody so we're going to continue using home run and so i tried to make that clear as well yeah dude that's so awkward it was weird especially that you have to like tell breached users we're going to keep using the service i mean not that it matters because they can delete it but still very interesting would you have stopped using the service? I mean, I, I still think it's one of the better tools out there, especially for the price point. And my perspective is that they'll probably take security a lot more seriously from now on. So in some ways, I think that they're going to be a safer tool to use moving forward. Is that a dumb bit of logic? I think it's interesting, right? Because like, you know, do you work with the company that just learned its lesson and now has to implement security practices because they have to take it seriously? Or do you work with the company like that already, you know, has had best practices in mind since the beginning because they cared about it since the start? Who knows? I don't know. To be fair, I don't see any of their competitors like touting security as one of their value props. I don't see anyone saying like, hey, we we take this seriously. And we I mean, I'm sure some of their competitors who sell to like more large enterprise corporations have, you know, probably have SOC 2 stuff in place, you know, the kind of standard compliance stuff. But for a, you know, a 10 person company, it's hard for us to evaluate, like do the security evaluations of every SaaS tool that we use. If only there were a budding wave of products being developed to, <laughs> to solve this problem. Yeah, if only. If only not like that market isn't getting crowded at all. But at the same time, would there ever be a product that would have caught something like this? Like it was a vulnerability in Apache. So you would almost have to do like have like an attack surface management tool that's scanning mm -hmm. for to detect something mm -hmm. like this. Like I don't think the a lot of the SaaS security tools are doing like that level of, yeah. of scanning of your your portfolio yeah. of SaaS tools, are they? No, 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 they're not. 
It's it's usually up to so so on the enterprise level, right? Like Salesforce, for example, has a vendor security team, and that entire team's job is just to evaluate their third party tools. And yeah, I mean, frankly, our you know we don't have vendor security teams for SMBs and startups, and even you know Series B and below would never have one because why would you ever invest in it? It seems like insane. You don't. Yeah, it's interesting. Very yeah. We don't use like a people management platform. Or sorry, not a or like a hiring platform. Applicant tracking system is is like what the category is called. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, we don't use an applicant. We did we did just start working with a recruiter. Shout out to Mimi. Oh, interesting. Um, or or just started you know getting into talks. Um, I know Mimi from from way back, so she is super awesome and is probably one of the best like recruiters in the industry. And every time I've thought about hiring a recruiter i just can't bring myself to justify the like 20 to 30 percent placement fee that they all seem to charge is that kind of what you're seeing from the recruiters you've talked to are you thinking about paying that does that seem worth it to you i think mimi is the type who like doesn't do the whole like linkedin automation hey this person has a job blah blah blah. i think she's much more of like a she has built up a network and knows all these people who are and meets all the people that are looking for work and then places them it's very like headhunter-esque rather than like recruiter almost which is why i think it's valuable i don't know i think the 20 percent makes sense when that's the methodology yeah, I agree with you that there are good recruiters and bad recruiters and bad recruiters will just spam the shit out of everybody and good recruiters build relationships over time and, you know, follow people from job to job and keep up with what people care about. You know, they're not just going after everybody with the same background. And so I think I'm not arguing at all that recruiters don't have value, that good recruiters don't have value. I think they do. I just haven't been able to justify it given our like margins and our business you know if we're paying a salary of 100 to 130 thousand dollars paying another 20 30 40 thousand dollars on top of that that's just a big hit to us and if we are doing a good job of building a great culture hopefully we keep them for years and and so that fee becomes you know gets spread out over a long period of time but you never know like people leave for all sorts of reasons and so you know if if we're having to pay that on a regular basis, that's like a huge additional expense that we that I don't know how well our business could support. On the flip side, we've messed up a couple of hires and had to had to let people go. That's a really expensive alternative, right? Like that's a really expensive mistake, not to mention painful for you, painful for the team, painful for the person. So there are times where I'm like, maybe I'm thinking about this the wrong way and maybe I should just, you know, bite the bullet and and go with a recruiter, but I haven't yet been able to justify it to myself. I will say that if Mimi didn't exist and I didn't have a friend who was a recruiter, I think I wouldn't be thinking about it as much. I think it was purely, well, so, so there's like a problem, right? Like we don't exactly know what we're looking for because the person doesn't fit into one box. And, you know, my connections only extend so far into security and design but we're looking and and you know a little bit of marketing but we're looking for like a very specific type of marketer or you know one or two specific types of marketers and i just don't have the, the connection and what's out there and we're not entirely sure we know what we're looking for just yet as much as 
wanting someone to tell me, okay, like I understand your business. Like, you know, uh, Mimi's perspective is like, okay, I get what you're trying to build. So I'm going to try to help you build that team. For the record, this is like for us to kind of flesh out a little bit more of our marketing service. Like we have a lot of really awesome designers and and some juniors in the, on the marketing side, but I think we're looking for somewhere who's like someone who's like mid to senior level who can kind of help, you know, help with some client facing roles and, and whatnot. I definitely think it becomes more worth it at the higher levels, not not because juniors aren't valuable people to have on your team, but just because they're more junior candidates looking for jobs and fewer places hiring juniors. So it's generally easier to find them. I also think that that's a really interesting point. If you if you're kind of trying to figure out what the role should be, then it makes it really hard to write a clear job description, which is going to make it hard to market and promote the job. And so that seems like a really good use case for saying, okay, it's worth it to us to pay this fee. Again, it's something we've considered a bunch. And just every time we we think about it, we're like, we're going to do the grind of you know, writing the job post, promoting it, talking to a bunch of people. And we have a front-end developer job right now that we're, has been a bit of a struggle to fill. You know, we've We've been trying to fill it for a couple of months now. But I think for now, we'll continue going through the process. I do want to point out that like something that I've been trying, like forcing myself to get into the uh, the habit of is writing better job job rec docs. I think it's necessary. And like at the end of the day, like someone needs to see a list of expectations or else they don't know how well, how good they're doing. And it's unfair to them. Right. So I've been getting more into the practice of doing that more and more. Honestly, just like scrolling through everyone like other companies and like picking and stealing what I like. But I think that's how it's all always done anyway. So check out Wildbit and People First Jobs. So Wildbit has a good careers page and they have a job board called People First Jobs that we we were kind of one of the early folks who got on their job board. Haven't seen a ton of traffic from from our promotions to their job site, although one of our like one of our senior engineer on the team right now came through people first jobs and is fantastic but they're probably the folks who post there ideally are going to be putting more effort into their job descriptions because if they're living up to that people first idea and so probably a good a good place to find good job descriptions this is yeah thanks this is great this is awesome i'm totally stealing what animals has as their job descriptions <laughs> animals is also fantastic what's going on in your world What's going on in my world? Um, it's December. Oh, it's not December. It is November, but it feels like December. It'll be December when this comes out, for sure. Yes, that is that is true. This is the first like holiday season that we're going. So, so we're seven people now, which is like a lot of people. I would say it's a little bit more than seven. We have some, you know, contractors we work with, you know, on and off, and and they're part of our Slack and everything, but. Yeah, dude. Like, I, I've never gone through a holiday season with this many people. Like, people are gonna be out of office like for long periods of time, and and, and that's great. And like, you know, you know, enjoy. And but clients have deliverables and and things. Um, luckily, I haven't been super dumb about it. Like, I I have told, you know, I have prefaced a lot of, or or, or told clients like. Uh, you know, when I planned it, I was like, okay, this is going through December. So we're going to push it out into January and they've been okay with it for the most part. But I think also like it's going to be super lonely is the big thing. Like, well, you're also going to take some time off, right? 
I will also try to take some time off. I will at least take like Christmas Eve off and Christmas off. I think Christmas is like I think it, yeah, I think it might be a like Saturday. A weekend anyway. So yeah, so I'll take I'll take that Saturday off. Um Dude, we're young. We can't like I don't know. Also, also like it, it's it's fun to work on stuff, but anyway. It is fun, but when you're seven years in, it's like nah, yeah, yeah. you gotta take time yeah. off. Oh, that's fair. I'm going to go to Atlanta the seventeenth to no, sorry, the eighteenth to the twenty-third. So gonna be a little gonna be a little workation. Yeah, holidays are tough. Have you asked people to like tell you what time they're taking off? I've not. Do you all have a vacation policy at all? We are implementing one. It's been kind of ad hoc and figuring all of it out. Even if it's just having people add it to a calendar, you know, I would ask people to do that by the end of November. That way you can at least have an idea and start planning. We use JustWorks and so past few weeks everyone's been adding their time off for the rest of the year to just works and then we add it to a shared calendar from there so everyone can see it but planning for time off is always tricky and i mean yeah it's a little bit stressful because we don't you know we try as much as possible to anticipate how much time off people are going to take and to remember that there that, that will be happening on a regular basis and to build that into project plans which is really what you kind of have to do but we don't always do a perfect job of it. Sometimes it's like, oh, wait, we've got more days here than we anticipated. So we need to move this around here. Yeah. And then, I mean, even pricing, like for some of our clients, we charge like per week. And so do you charge for their, a week in which everybody is off? Probably not. No. So it's it's kind of weird. We've been putting some more thought towards our pricing model lately in part because of that and in part because we want to be able to more easily justify having spending internal time improving our processes and getting better as a team and doing learning and development and all the things that are necessary for continuing to do better work but that are really hard to justify when you're like oh if we don't do this we won't earn money so we've been thinking about making some adjustments to our pricing model but i think in general most clients are pretty understanding and the more you can like give your team some dedicated time off and be like, hey, let's all be off and like really recharge and enjoy it can be kind of weird. I think last year I like me and like one other person were online for a few of the days and it was just kind of like, to be honest, not a whole lot's going to get done in those days anyway. <laughs> Although who knows, maybe, you know, I've actually been wishing lately I would have a day with like no me- a week with no meetings and no questions and stuff. So maybe it's a chance to get a lot done on that. I'm not sure, but that was a rambly. <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you like literally said so many of the things that are on my, that are like on my mind, but not articulated. So that's what seven years does, does for you. You know, it's a little bit of that, a little bit of that experience. <laughs> so, okay. Sidebar, um, because, because a policy that we are implementing that I think is super cool is called a 10% day. I think I know where this is going. I think I've heard of this, but I might, I might be wrong. Do you want me to tell you what I think a 10% day is and then you tell me if I'm right or wrong or do you want to just tell me? Tell me what you think it is because you might even have an even cooler idea. Also because I've never heard of a 10% day. So I'm, now I'm very curious that you've heard of it. So My immediate assumption is that it's like Google 20% time where you take a certain, you know, ideally you take 10% of your days, you set aside a day and then you give it to the team to work on side projects, internal projects, process improvements, things that will make the company better. 
Kind of. Yes, but it's okay. So so one of my one of my designers, uh, Kelly, pitched this. I think she had done it in her previous company or something. But a 10% day is uh, every two weeks, you take one of those days and you delegate it to like a self-study, get better at a craft or a certain thing that you want to get better at. So I think, for example, Kelly, I think wants to get a lot better at or wants to improve her illustration skills. So she can spend that day even like shadowing, like, you know, Chris, who's our illustrator on work, like just just like a non-client work day for sure. So yeah, yeah, I think, I think, you know, more or less close enough. I think that, yeah, I, I love this concept. At one point, we did every Friday. So we only worked Monday through Thursday. Uh, we were f- trying to model ThoughtBot, a famous agency based out of Boston. And so we would only do client work Monday through Thursday. And then we left Friday for learning and development or for side projects or just for whatever we really wanted to spend it on. Over time, we ended up moving away from it because we were like trying to really focus on getting the company more profitable and trying to we were struggling to make the days feel productive. I sometimes wonder if we moved away from it too fast, if like if maybe it's OK for those two days not to feel productive. But we ended up you know, slowly moving away from that. And now I think we're trying to kind of recapture some of that and trying to figure out what does that look like for us in the future? So I mentioned we're thinking about reworking our pricing model. I really want to move to a either a fixed fee model. Probably we would only feel comfortable doing that on design projects. Engineering projects still have so much ambiguity and like are still so hard to estimate that I think we probably aren't ready to to do fixed fee engineering projects yet. But either a fixed fee model or a fixed monthly fee model based on you know roughly number of FTEs or kind of overall project scope or something like that. And so moving to something like that, in theory, would make it a lot easier for us to say, as long as we plan in the timelines that we're communicating to clients, plan for time off, it would make it a lot easier for us to say, hey, we're going to take this time off to either whether it's vacation time or whether it's taking time like you're talking about doing doing 10% days or we called them four one days when we were doing them or, you know, I've been sort of thinking about maybe if we want to stagger those days or something so everyone's not off on the same day. I'm not I'm not really sure how to handle it yet. I haven't we haven't gotten that far into figuring out how we want to bring this back, but but essentially just making it a more regular thing that we're working on improving our processes and learning. Because yeah, I think if you're not doing that stuff, you will stagnate and you won't the end work won't be as good. And so it is valuable to clients. It's just really hard to charge for if you're not doing something more fixed, fixed fee. You, you'll have to tell me when you figure out that your fixed monthly fee model, but I hate the fixed monthly model right now. I think I've told you that we sell this like like butts and seats integrated type of thing. Maybe I just need to like up the price, to be honest. Maybe that will just solve all my problems, but it is super stressful. I think it worked really, really well when we were a smaller team. But now that we are a larger team with, you know, people who have direct reports and whatnot, I think it becomes a little bit of like a PM nightmare for, let's say, you know, like like our integrated model is you buy a seat from us and we essentially lease out a designer to you, right? And 
And sometimes if this, like we, there's a main multidisciplinary designer who can do most of the work for you. However, there are skill sets that that person does not cover and therefore we switch someone in. Or if that person is out for the day, we switch someone in. And that's relatively how it works. We don't charge for any of the internal project management time or the creative direction time, which is a problem because, because like that time is valuable and important and costs you money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, which which has been the biggest pain in the ass. And then the other side is like, there are just times where like like startups need to hit deadlines, and we need to sometimes throw like you know if someone's working on a product design, I need someone else to work on the website stuff so we can hit like a deadline because like it's more important to me that the startup gets their stuff out in time to you know do their stuff and and yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard that way, but your model might look a lot different from this integrated. I don't think our model looks a lot lot different, but I think there are a few key differences. One, I think the problem around deadlines comes down to two things, like project planning, which also means expectation setting with clients up front. So understanding the deadlines as early as possible and then planning for that out. And then just boundary setting. Sometimes you have to say to a client, hey, this stuff came up that you weren't anticipating, we weren't anticipating, so we're not going to meet the deadline how important is this deadline really? Is this just something you've, you know, sort of set internally or is there a, a reason that we have to hit this deadline? So there's some boundary management stuff there that I think is always hard and that we always struggle with. I think one of the other things is like how many different skills are there really that you, that you need for these seats? I don't think if we move to a fixed monthly fee model, we won't be guaranteeing that there's a person every single day of the month. We'll be saying that like, hey, this is how much you're paying us. And these are the milestones that we're setting out and the timelines were, were the estimated timelines that we're agreeing to. We're going to try our best to hit those. People may have days off in here. Don't worry about it. We've incorporated that into our plan. And so like it won't impact the timeline, but we're not going to like swap someone else in if someone's off or someone's sick. Like we're going, you know, I've started piloting parts of this with clients, but I haven't like, this is kind of a new version that I haven't really rolled out to many clients yet. I think that's helpful. I think I think you're absolutely right, right? Like there is some expectation setting to be done. I think what you're saying is right. We have a integrated one running, like an engagement that's integrated running and then another one that's just like, you know, fixed scope, fixed timeline. And like that one just feels so much better because we know we can hit that timeline internally. And in fact, we're like way ahead of schedule because I don't know, I guess they're just that good. But in addition to sort of rethinking our pricing model, we've also just been thinking about how to improve knowledge sharing. And we have a playbook right now, but it largely doesn't get used, doesn't get updated. So a lot of the information in there is out of date, which makes onboarding people awkward because I have to be like, here's our playbook. It's not that useful. (laughs) And there's like, I don't know, it's just, it's felt kind of clunky. So there's a couple of things we're thinking about. We're thinking about one, trying to scale back how we write playbook pages to try to make them like as simple as possible, like bullets as wherever possible. Like it's less about being perfect and more about being easy. It's okay if we miss some context, as long as it's as much of the information is there as possible and we like, you know, are keeping it up to date. That's more important than all of the nuance and storytelling and like having a really well written article. So that's one thing we're thinking about. And then the other thing we're thinking about is trialing a new tool so we've had it in notion for a while and of course this is like a classic tech problem of can i guess what the tool is oh yeah go for it is it 
Coda? Nope. So there's a couple of tools that are specifically built for company wikis. So Tetra and Slab, Guru is another. Those seem to be the, the three that are the most popular. And so we've been looking at those and they have some features that we're hoping will be helpful. We'll see where you can like track when the last time a page was updated and like schedule auto reminders to keep the page up to date. You can assign authors, you can create sort of series of pages. So like link pages together, you can track how much your team is using it so that we could set some goals around like, hey, we want views to be up or we want, you know, the way you would marketing goals almost, you could set some some interesting goals around. We want to make sure we're using the playbook. So they have some interesting features like that. Tetra has some cool stuff where you can ask questions instead of writing full playbook documents and then people can answer them. You can also request that someone write a page about a topic. So we're evaluating a couple of those right now and we're going to try to see if we can improve the way we keep up with our playbook and just make it a more useful document that is being updated more frequently. Nice. I didn't realize there were just, I mean, I guess that makes sense that there are company wikis. I We have just been using Notion for that for a while. We did switch some doc stuff over to Monday, but that's not, you know, not a good place for like SOPs and, and whatnot. So, and, and now Notion has just kind of been my own personal like brain dump area. So I will check those out. That is very interesting. It's still early. We're like just trialing them out and it's mostly me and Austin playing with them right now. We haven't added them headed the team to them yet the big thing for me is going to be so i love again i love all these features about like reminders and notifications and views and stuff like that you know the great thing about notion is it's just like you're dropped right into your content and you can just start editing whereas with these it feels a little bit more like you're dropped into some sort of dashboard or something and then you have to navigate to your content and then and so i'm a little worried that they might be that notion may still went out just on ease of of editing although a lot of my team really hates writing in notion like we noticed that a lot of people were creating google docs and then adding them to notion and i was like okay this is something is wrong here yeah yeah that's true notion does not have the best editing experience but it's really easy to start editing yeah you just click and type that's true whereas a lot of these you have to like mm-hmm switch to editing mode you have to kind of navigate to the page you want you have to they're more structured but i've yet to decide if that's good or bad i will also check them out and i will let you know i I feel like i do see value in it not being editable immediately because it feels more like a book but then i can see how much of a pain in the ass it is for anyone who needs to edit specifically like you or austin or whoever's ass so yeah speaking of playbooks and recurring things that recur and i'm just trying to congrats you you, (laughs) congrats on on, i don't know do you want to tell the the our 11 12 13 listeners (laughs) yeah so some of our listeners are our clients so big thank you to any of our clients listening to this because this is all because of you but as of November 1st, Crit has hit a million dollars in sales, in annual sales for the first time ever. Um, so we have crossed the the million dollar threshold. I feel like we didn't really do anything to celebrate as a team. Like I, I feel kind of bad. I, I announced it to our team and then I was just sort of like, yep, so that's a thing. 
<laughs> like I was, I should have done a better job of making a big deal out of it, or, or like if I'd planned ahead a little bit more, I would have maybe had some cool merch for the team or or something like that. But I just, it kind of snuck up on me. I, you know, I'd been paying attention for a while. I knew it was possible, so I was kind of, kind of keeping an eye on it. But I hadn't really thought about what I would do once we hit it. And in a lot of ways, I feel a little silly celebrating it because it's kind of an arbitrary milestone, right? Like, what's the big difference between 1 million versus 1.1 million. I can't quite decide how much I want to celebrate it. Maddie and I went out to dinner the other night and um, had a couple drinks and a couple of appetizers to toast. But other than that, we haven't done too much. It seems like the trend is for agencies to take, you know, like around the five-year mark to hit a million in a year, just because it almost feels like that number is so hard to hit. Just because like there's always... You're always like you can always just end up like just shy of it, you know. I, I know you guys were like just shy last year too, right? So yeah, we were like nine twenty last yeah. year, which was kind of infuriating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So so the comma, I don't know. Emotions matter, you know. Can't yeah, always be rational. Yeah, it was cool. Um, and so we've been in business for seven years, but we've only really been an agency for five of those. The first year and a half or so, we were doing product work on a product of our own. So we're kind of right in line with that maybe a little bit slow we were undercharging for a long time but at the same time we didn't know what the fuck we were doing so i kind of feel like we priced fairly like i think some people got some good deals but i also think that they tolerated a lot of learning from us yeah also don't forget the fact that like you also just pivoted into security this year technically so like technically it's like a, a new market you know, so so how much of that one million is security? Good question. Because that's the real number, right? Maybe. I don't know. My stance is is still we're a product design firm focused on cybersecurity. Our marketing efforts are going to be around cybersecurity and we want to, you know, continue to grow with cybersecurity clients. But we enjoy doing work outside of cybersecurity. And if it's a good fit, we'll take it on. So Yeah. That's fair. Generally, that's going to mean more B2B type stuff. It's going to mean or it's just going to mean a founder we really love that we are really passionate about. We have a non-security client right now who we just think is really cool. We really like the team and want to use the product ourselves. And so I think the majority of that is is cybersecurity. I don't know the exact number. Yeah, the majority definitely is. The majority of our clients this year have been cybersecurity and our biggest clients have been cybersecurity this year. So. Congrats again. That's awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah, pretty excited about it. I'm excited. I'm more excited about, I feel like lately with the thoughts around the pricing model and some of the process changes we've made over the course of this year and some of the goals that Austin and I have been setting recently, I feel like I'm more excited about the future of Crit than I have been in the last year or two. Like, I'm really seeing a path to a more sustainable profitable like healthy business where like creating something where people it's like genuinely what we have always wanted which is a good place to work does good work and creates good outcomes for the people who work here and are involved in in it and i think we our team is like clicking really well right now so i'm really excited about that that is awesome to hear i also feel that way it's been super fortunate to also have a team that clicks really well Honestly, the reason we keep stand-ups more than anything is for the social interaction. I know some people are like super anti that. They are like, I want this meeting to be over as quickly as possible. I'm like, fuck that. I just want to like chat with my coworkers and 
get to know them a little bit every day. I think you have a new clothing line coming out soon. Is that right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So as of tomorrow, so what, if you're listening to this technically? <laughs> Three weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> Three weeks ago, hopefully sold out by now, we released our second collection. A little bit late uh, to come out. That's been something that we've really just been like thinking through. It's been another kind of learning process, another expensive learning process. But no, super excited to get it out. Last collection was based around work from home. This collection was kind of inspired by the idea that we're all kind of going outside now. And so therefore it's called AFK or Away From Keyboard 2021. You know, it's our late fall, winter collection. Has four heavyweight t-shirts, really, really honestly thick t-shirts, thick and soft, if that makes any sense. Four designs, technically more than, well, technically, if you count colors, it's more, but, and then, and then a really cool jacket, but it's been a fun learning process. We got into cut and sew and, and many working with manufacturers. That was a, that was an interesting process. There's, there is maybe like a couple grand down the hole currently. Not too bad. Honestly, if you're talking physical products, a couple grand doesn't seem like that. Big. I know it hurts, but it doesn't seem too bad. Well, there's about like four grand locked away with a manufacturer where we haven't gotten the product yet. So we had to cut it from the collection. Everything else in total, I think I think the entire collection costs us like 15K to do. So that's like a it's a it's a hefty number. It's not, you know, we don't we don't make it back. Or we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. But no, regardless, super excited to kind of, you know, finally get it out to the world. Cool. Are you willing to share results from your past collection at all? Or would you prefer to keep that stuff under wraps for right now? No, I'll share it. I'll share it. The last collection cost about 14K. We made about, you want to, you want to guess on the number? Well, you're smiling awkwardly. So I'm going to guess it's less than 14K. Yeah, it's about like 10%. Okay. 10% mm -hmm. less? No, like like the, the amount of sales that we had was 10% of... How much we, we, we had 1400 in sales. Do you need to jack up your prices or were you spending, were you giving a lot of product away? I was definitely giving a lot of product away. I, <laughs> I, I give away. So, okay. I want to point out that like the thing that does work and, and the reason why we keep doing this is that we make all of our money back because it's a marketing effort and we give it to people and they're like, this is dope. And, and then they, they hire us for more work. So it's a little bit of a loss leader there. That being said, you know, one of the things that we could have done a lot better is really just marketing, right? Do you know what the difference between B2C marketing and B2B marketing is, Andrew? You have to just get way, 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 way more volume in B2C marketing? Kind of, but not really. Okay, so companies that are B2B with a marketing team have a sales team. Companies with a B2C marketing team do not have a sales team. Marketing efforts are directly related to sales. So it's been an interesting kind of like learning process and building that talent. But anyway... Definitely should have actually thought a little bit more about the e-commerce marketing side. It's definitely a different ballgame than running a design agency or even doing like enterprise marketing. But I will say there are a lot of interesting learnings that we're pulling from that that are, can be applied to like B2B, specifically even the mentality of, of like using marketing to drive more revenue. But like other things, right? Like seeding, seeding an influencer campaign, um, you know, a bunch of new ideas, but super cool. I will be very curious to hear how some of those marketing efforts go. Are there any marketing ideas you're really excited about right now? You mentioned an influencer campaign. Yeah, so definitely an influencer campaign. Probably not for this line. I think for us, 
this was another kind of learning experience. And I think that's fine. I think we did pick up, like we did a really long retrospective and it's like, okay, we're pretty confident. The new line that I will, will drop in March of 2022, I may or may not drop it on my birthday. Just to just, yeah, yeah. And y'all are already starting to work on that one? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're being a lot smarter about it this time. Cool. It's starting way earlier. So, yeah. Cool, man. That's exciting. Cool. Any fun marketing ideas for this line? We have a TikTok. We have a TikTok. We did a little, we did a quick like sponsorship post with a TikTok creator who's in security. We're kind of like, we did a photo shoot. You know, we did a photo shoot. We did a photo shoot. Let's did a lookbook, posting that on Instagram. I think I just posted that on Twitter as well. I think just like, you know, going in on all of the social media things that we should have gone in on earlier. I think uh, like, like for what it's worth, like it's like the team that works on it is just me and Chris right now. So like it's a very small team who both people's. Yeah. You don't have a whole lot of time to, (laughs) to do a whole lot of marketing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Our time is definitely spent a lot more on client work because that's, that's more important right now. But, you know, thinking about building out a little, a team to kind of, help so someone to handle social media and everything like that but yeah it's a it's a cool fun project that we're turning into or hopefully going to turn into a real business soon enough so cool we are talking to a social media manager on friday oh shit um, for crit oh yeah damn okay yeah a friend of ours from college uh is actually you know has been working for social media companies and ad agencies for the last seven years so I reached out to her to ask her if she knew any freelancers. And she was like, yeah, me. <laughs> nice. So I'm going to talk to her on Friday about I have been stubbornly trying to do it myself and just I'm with you not doing a great job. I'm, I, I can't seem to stick with it. I, you know, it's it's been just a, a pain. Listen, cobblers, kids get no shoes. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to trying to see if what it would take to outsource that and to to find someone else to hire a you know sort of a dedicated person to run that one of the things i'm really going to be interested to talk to her about is like should our efforts be run through the crit brand or through my personal accounts because we've always gotten more engagement on personal accounts i think people largely want to interact with other people on social media more than they want to interact with brands but then do I hand someone over the the credentials to my Twitter account and let them tweet for me? That feels weird. I know ghostwriting and all of that is a thing, but it's always something that I've just struggled to accept and <laughs> and haven't felt super great about. So I'm going to be really curious to talk to her about that and see like what her take is on on strategically how we should handle it. I think that she sets up a content calendar for you, and then you, if you don't trust anyone else, you can like schedule all of it. And like Hootsuite or something, and that might solve the, you know, access issue. But potentially, yeah. We are also trying to do a content marketing push in a newsletter format, which I think we've talked about a long time ago. And we we are also ah, I'll save it for the next. I'll save I'll save it for when it is out because, yeah, yeah, because I want to hold myself to it. And if I say it, I'm not going to do it because that's what happened with the newsletter. So yeah, cool. All right. Have a good day, Sean. Yeah, you too. I'll see you later. Bye. You just listened to Small Efforts, a podcast collaboration between Crit and Miscreants, hosted by Sean Sun and Andrew Askins. Sean is a hacker turned designer and the founder of Miscreants 
creative agency building memorable brand and product experiences for cybersecurity ventures. Andrew is an engineer turned CEO and the founder of Crit, a product design agency that helps cybersecurity founders create better products. If you enjoyed this podcast, rate us on Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. You can check us out at smalleffortspodpod.com. Thanks for listening. See you next episode.